In March 2020, I got into my most heated argument on Facebook. I had been a user of the app for well over a decade and was among the first to actually use it when it first started gaining traction during the mid-2000s, well before all the red flags started emerging. It feels like nine lifetimes ago, but Facebook was a legitimately good website and a great way to communicate with others near, far, and also with people you haven't met before. But that was a long, long time ago. In March 2020, as the pandemic started exploding and scared the earth to its core, Disney made a controversial decision to essentially lay off tens of thousands of college program cast members and gave them less than two weeks to find a way home, and they wouldn't even be able to pick up their last check. As someone who knows how much money Disney has, and as someone who knows that Disney literally owns the units that were quickly getting rid of the international domestic cast members working their internships, I was very upset at how they were handling the situation. There's this viciously scary illness killing people all over China, and it's creeping its way here. Dead bodies are being discovered all over the streets in New York City. Why are we being so hasty and potentially tossing people out to the streets without a proper way home? Flights were being canceled. Countries were locking their doors. And there's a chance some of these international cast members were going to be stuck in Orlando in the middle of a pandemic. I voiced my displeasure on Facebook, voices voicing how disappointed I was at how Disney was behaving. But lo and behold, here comes the Disney fans defending this decision. For days, the bickering between me and everybody wouldn't stop, and it got brutal. People I considered friends were defending the indefensible, and I couldn't understand why. One night, I finally realized that my time on Facebook had stopped being fun for a while. I was battling friends, family, co-workers, <clears throat> ex-co-workers, Disney fanatics, Trump supporters, incompetent anti-Black Lives Matter white people, and many, many others. In the meantime, my newsfeed was chock full of shit that I hated, full of crap I would have been better off not ever reading. At the same time, when I was discussing my Bernieisms, random strangers out of the woodwork would come in and challenge me with no actual intention of creating a proper conversation. Facebook became a giant public space for arguments and for anger. And it doesn't have to be this way, especially if the protections against these tech giants were to finally be reduced. There is a solution here, and believe it or not, it involves me siding with the Republican Party in Congress. In this episode, I make the case for why a particular bill in the 1990s that shielded the algorithms of any legal harm needs updating and would potentially create a brand new era in the internet that will actually eradicate all this hate that causes real-world consequences, even if altering the bill can also create some problems on my side of the political field. A lot of negatives in my idea, I admit, but ultimately, it's a net positive. Are we ready, friends? I'm going to discuss good old Section 230. Welcome to Coffee in the Script.
back and forth I've had for years with strangers and people I know. This is all part of Zuckerberg and Meta's overarching plan. Anger you to clicks. Anger you to continue the engagement with family and strangers. Anger you to return back to the website to fight some more. It's a strategy that is being adopted even stronger by Twitter under new shitty leadership. And then even places like YouTube isn't fully innocent from creating these problems. This meta problem, however, we should consider ourselves lucky considering the damage they've caused elsewhere. If you think this problem is bad in the United States, wait until you find out how Facebook slash meta is directly associated with an entire genocidal effort in Myanmar and how WhatsApp under the meta umbrella helped an extreme far-right nationalist win an election in Brazil, with Bolsonaro sending the beautiful country backwards an entire generation with death, destruction, and nearly bringing forth a military dictatorship. I've always said that with social media and the internet, we're at the mercy of the algorithm, where it can be used for good or can be used for absolute evil. TikTok's rise to the top is because their algorithm does a fantastic job constantly finding you content that appeals to you, while also kind of keeping you away from most subjects that would give you the opposite reaction. On another example, I choose Spotify over Apple Music because their algorithm has helped me find dozens of artists from all over the world that I otherwise would have never found without the app's recommendations. Apple Music does not achieve this. TikTok's algorithm is so strong that it's actually scaring entire governments around the world. My podcast had always been about the pearls of capitalism getting in the way of art. And the algorithm problem is no different. Because of the push towards more controversial content, the push towards more polarizing content, it hides the legitimately good material and good potential that you can find in places like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and elsewhere. There are charities and potentially earth-changing content creators and activists that will be buried under the plethora of angry trash one has to sort through before finding things worth spending time with. But they won't get the attention they deserve unless Section 230 finally forces these apps to stop trying to continue the polarization of its users. In very basic terms, Section 230 fundamentally shields websites, apps, web pages, and anything else from the internet from getting into legal and financial trouble for the words, images, videos, ideas, and overall content created by the people using the app without any sort of direct association with them. In simpler terms, I cannot sue Twitter because neo-Nazis have flooded the app and likely have amplified thoughts and ideas that more than likely has led to violence against minorities, violence against people that I know. I can't sue them for that. Twitter has hate-filled content on the site, but they cannot be punished for it because they didn't outright say these things. They're basically a blank canvas that allows for anyone to say anything. Linking to the example I'd used in the intro, I cannot also sue Meta for all the shoddy, ridiculous words shared during and after the pandemic, which has likely led to the deaths of thousands of anti-vaxxers and people who didn't take the pandemic seriously. I know people who have passed away because they didn't take the pandemic seriously. And, you know, it, it sucks that they're no longer here with me.
As Meta slash Facebook continues skewing older, it has led to more misinformation being shared, which indeed has led to bad advice being taken, which also leads to deadly consequences. But Meta is shielded from any sort of legal trouble because they didn't particularly publish it. People in their site published it. To add to that, amplifying the voices of others also doesn't create legal trouble. Not yet, anyway. Section 230 is one of the very few times where I'm agreeing with the conservative base in the White House. And I can't help but feel like it's such a trap or better yet, some wild misunderstanding. I don't think the conservatives actually understand the consequences for scaling back Section 230, unlike those on the other side of the political spectrum, which have also viewed the websites and apps as behaving very irresponsibly. I think it's funny how two political opposites see the same websites as the enemy, will both agree to the same solution, but will anticipate wildly different results. Those on the left, you know, my side of the court, will see the eradicating of Section 230 as Twitter, YouTube, Google, Amazon, TikTok, and Meta being punished for allowing certain things to continue to happen on their sites. Those on the left, your progressives, will see places like YouTube and especially Twitter better monitor their content, assumably, because we all know Elon Musk might just ignore everything and would rather be fined several million dollars than, you know, as opposed to doing his job and ensuring no more, you know, Nazi talk on his on his health site. But we assume that they'll fix up their algorithm greatly, which will result in blocking and removing the very questionable and outrageous content that has helped stir the pot and elevate the political problems and will essentially allow for better, easier going content to be front and center like in the olden days, you know, the Obama years. The conservatives, however, firmly believe that it is their words and rhetoric being silenced, and they believe by getting rid of Section 230, it will open up the floodgates for right-wing content to make a comeback, as they believe they can go after the YouTubes and Twitters for not elevating their words. As I've said, I don't think they realize the Pandora's box that would open if Section 230 is gone, and I don't think they'd want to leave open that box of possibilities. So why is this podcast, my podcast, interested in such a law that's being challenged in the Supreme Court? Because I personally believe that the algorithms across the internet, with a few exceptions, are elevating the bad content, elevating the controversial content instead of legitimately good material by reliable artists, essayists, journalists, and etc. And of course, with no consequences for the shift... Why not continue profiting off of pain and angry discourse? Why try continuing to help the wide variety of entertaining channels when you can just elevate the news, the politics, and the controversies? We have seen many very good content creators struggle to adapt to the ever-changing ways of the algorithm. The rules are always changing. The restrictions are always increasing. The number of unapproachable subjects is always rising. And at times, these apps nix the rules to appeal to their sponsors, their financial contributors. Certain subjects will cost you money if, you know, if YouTube, say, doesn't want to hear about it. It kind of forces everyone to a corner to talk about things they don't really want to talk about, but they have to discuss them if it means them finally getting back to the front pages and potentially getting new audiences. Ever since Donald Trump burst onto the political scene, some of these apps have seen the value of elevating anything related to him. 
because it's so polarizing, because it triggers so much anger. Anger leads to more clicks, leads to more content, and leads to more comments and leads to more arguments within said comments, and which in their eyes leads to more money and profit. Even some very good networks would usually devolve themselves to bringing up Donald Trump constantly. Nas Daily, I still haven't forgiven you for that one video, dude. That was very disappointing. It wasn't just MSNBC and CNN drinking the tea of Trump news. We once had a popular travel video on Facebook do an episode about how much fun Trump rallies were. Yikes upon yikes, man. Hope that blood money was worth it, sir. The strategy has shifted severely within the last decade, and as a result, the content creators from within these websites have had to adjust basically everything, and in some cases, leaving it all entirely. Think of all those people who have left YouTube. Think of all of those who have left Twitter. The streaming service Nebula consists of several former YouTubers that were dissatisfied by the changes made on YouTube now relying on the Patreons and sponsors to survive while having a much smaller audience to work with. This has made the entire world of social media a lot more toxic. And unless there are actual consequences towards the very material being allowed by these websites, this trend will just sadly continue. Meta will continue having old people battle each other over politics. Twitter under Elon Musk will continue having intense right-wing neo-Nazi white supremacist bullshit poison, an already toxic website. And sadly, YouTube will continue making things difficult for most of their creators while pushing content they believe will create the most engagement overall when they easily could just become a reliable pocket-sized version of cable with thousands of great channels to choose from. That is, until Section 230 can lose its power. There's so much good that exists in the internet, but it can become a daunting task to find it, as you have to weave through all the nonsense to get there. Facebook was such a good website in the beginning, till the bosses decided that connectivity wasn't enough. We needed angry engagement to bring in the profits. It feels like an eternity to go. But if Facebook really was a nice connection to people, places, and cultures, and societies for a brief minute, Twitter during the early 2010s, during the Obama years, the late ones, was a lot more fun than what we're seeing today. The potential for all these websites cannot improve until the apps themselves are forced to monitor its behavior. All these apps actually have one thing in common. They are brutally understaffed. They don't have enough people behind the scenes monitoring, banning, editing, fixing the algorithms, and tr and trying to prevent some truly corrupt and awful material to make its way and embed itself in the platform. Elon Musk fired over half his staff on Twitter. Facebook's staffing concerning overseas content monitoring is laughably small, which has led to, you know, genocidal efforts. And Meta overall has continued to lay off thousands. Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram are also victims of this limited staffing issue. If Section 230 disappears, then big tech's ignorance of these problems will cost them. Being legally responsible for what goes on in their websites will dramatically alter things, will force them to rethink things. And with that, we can perhaps find better algorithms, we can shine a better light on the good content on the internet, and we can direct some of the focus away from the hatred and politics and the Nazisms and move it towards more digestible content. 
A better internet is indeed possible, and it starts with looking at Section 230 and scaling back on its power. And on that note, this will actually be my final podcast on Coffee and a Script for a while. If forever, we'll see. I'm taking an extended break, and I'm not sure when I'll be back. I think my reliance on social media and the internet has reached a boiling point, and I have to step away a bit from the apps, from the media, and the content creation that has no financial backing, has no financial benefit to me. Um, yeah, it's. I have not regret starting this. I have done some pretty good practice for if I do come back to this in some shape or form, whether it be this podcast or another, but I think a break is needed. Um, I do wish all of you the best in all your future endeavors, and like I said, if I do come back, I'll be back with more ideas, more energy, and a better outlook on what I should be doing next. Just remember that a better world is possible, a better life is possible, just every once in a while it might require some deep searching first so once again take care goodbye and i'll see you on the other side this this is a shorter episode because it's a proper like mid-season finale or potential series finale take care goodbye ciao register to vote and don't forget to help your neighbors in the